Thank you for that warm welcome, Daniel. And uh, Karen, thank you for uh, allowing us to be with you. And for those who were here yesterday, obviously, I got to know you a little bit. And for those who I didn't get to meet, well, this morning we'll have a little time together. Uh, Sharon and I have been married 42 years. Uh, we have four children, two grandchildren. We have three daughters that, uh, if you'd like to marry them, please come see me. Uh, I don't know why they don't get married. They're, they're wonderful, beautiful, but, you know, I think it's, there's reasons. I think their father was just too good. Uh, We have uh, pastored two churches in our life, plus taught in college for a number of years. And uh, over the last couple of years, we turned our last church over and have uh, embarked on a different little journey now uh, as we help leaders in churches kind of around the globe. And I also oversee a group of churches of a few hundreds. And so uh, being here in Alaska is a, a great privilege. Uh, you have such a beautiful state, beautiful everything. Um, you know, it's amazing that you combine Hawaii and Alaska uh, the way you do. You know, your pastor looks like he's in Hawaii. You know, the white pants, the bright shirt. He, he, brings, he brings the look, you know. He, he still maintains that Hawaii culture. I can feel that, you know, happy camper. And, uh, but it's amazing how you do that. I know the Moroccos and have known for years and was just over there a few months ago. Um, I want to, um, see the clock is where, right back there. So I need to dig in. Um, I want to put something into your heart this morning that I think would be uh, encouraging. Your church is obviously on a journey. I'm a stranger to you, but not to your pastors. Um, but I'm not a stranger to church and growth, momentum, and vision and commitment and buildings. We have built a lot of buildings in our ministry time. And so I know what that feels like as the church moves ahead. So if you would allow me to speak more into the church, not so much into the individual this morning, but I'm gonna speak into the church uh, and give you some encouragement about your journey. Um, there's different seasons in a church and you would be in a season and, and this would be my observation from a spiritual uh, feel and then my experience, but I would think you're at a uh, real shift in your church right now, that this is a time of shift for you. And shifting is usually the shifting from one season to another, and I think your church is going to go from another season. You're gonna go from one to another. and. I think the shift that I, I would feel for you would be the shift of acceleration, is that what used to take long is going to happen very fast. And I think it's actually going to catch you by surprise. I think, I think you do feel the Lord's moving you and that you have a, a great future and uh, things are happening. I think you know that and feel that, but I don't think you're maybe aware on how fast it's going to happen. And the scripture that comes to my mind is when Jesus turned the water into wine and that whole, that whole scenario of the first miracle of Jesus, when he turns the water into wine, he actually does something that 
that was unusual, unheard of in those days, to save the best wine to the last and then serve the best wine at the end of the wedding after everybody had drunk so much that it didn't matter what kind of wine they drank. But uh, the people were saying, now you're serving the best wine at the last. I mean, why would you do that? Good wine, best wine, takes about at least 20 years to make. And Jesus did it in one day. And that's the shift that I'm talking about with acceleration, that what used to take 20 years might take one day. What used to take a long time to plant and water and move it along might shift and only take one year, three years. It might be, who knows the timing of what you're headed for, but I would think that you're headed for a shift in acceleration, that things are going to happen a lot faster than you think, and that you're going to be uh, moving into a new era for the church. When you move your buildings, it won't just be building movement, it will be a new era. It will be a, a new, almost like a new beginning in some ways. And uh, you'll, you'll have all the same culture and principles and teaching and everything you take with you. But how that's going to be applied will be uh, different for you. And uh, you're going to grow. You're going to have a lot of other people in your room. You're going to have a lot of other families that have been unchurched, unsaved. And you're going to enjoy a time of... Uh, ultimate growth, something that you would hope for, believe for, but you're actually going to experience. And some of your friends are going to be saved there, and some of your, your relatives will be saved there. Some of the people that you've been praying for will be healed there, and miracles will take place there. It'll be a place where God's presence can do a mighty work in that house. And you, and you get to be a part of that. You get to be uh, at the beginning piece of that. You get to be the building blocks uh, to make that happen. That's a uh, an amazing thing that God uses certain people to set up other people to experience the blessing of the Lord. Everybody pays a price. Somebody paid the price for this building. Somebody paid the price for this property. Somebody paid the price for everything that's going on here. Maybe you came into all this, and now you have a chance to pay the price for the next group that's coming in. And so you need to step up and, and really give and really uh, honor your future with your sacrifice because you're actually building a sacrifice for your family, children, and your children of children. And that is your future. That's where you're going with this thing. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing that will happen. In order for vision to happen, I'm going to talk to you about vision for a little bit. I'm going to talk about the power of we. And the power of we is different than the words I or me because the Bible is built on we. It's not built on I. It's built on us. It's not built on my. It's, it's built on a concept that we do more together than apart, that we're bound together for reasons and that because of that, we can do mighty things when we join together and we can bring great shifts to the house of God and to the kingdom of God. We can do mighty things. I want you to write down um, a phrase if you're taking notes. Uh, Sunday morning, but I'm more of a teacher preacher, but I'll just lay it out there to you. I want you to write down vision turns nothingness and emptiness into fullness. Vision turns nothingness and emptiness into fullness. That's what Genesis chapter 1 is all about. That's what happened when the Spirit and the Word moved upon the face of the deep and there was nothing. The Word, the vision, the, the rhema of God that came turned nothingness and emptiness into fullness. Formlessness surrendered to fullness because that's the power of vision. 
And so as you sit here with your life, it's, it's an individual thing, it's a business thing, it's a career thing, it's a church thing, it, it, the, the principle fits everywhere. But the idea is that vision has the power to take what is nothing and is empty and turn it into something that's full and marvelous. And so vision creates, vision fulfills, vision brings things out where nothing else is there. There took some amount of vision for Daniel and leaders to even see that property that had any potential, and then to believe God to get out of the boat and find the money for it and all that, just on the building side, just on the physical side, but God does deal with buildings. God does bless building programs. God, God is a builder himself. He, he built three houses himself. And so he knows what it's like. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And so Jesus is a carpenter. Jesus is a builder. And there's something about the sacredness of meeting together in a place that you build together that is uh, an amazing piece of your life. You'll experience it, and you'll never, ever go without it. It will be the, the place that you will remember. You'll, you'll remember what happens in that place at, at certain times at that uh, actual altar piece or where you were standing and the word of the Lord came to you and healed your body or, or healed a relationship or brought forgiveness to your heart or you experienced a miracle in God. The, the rooms that we meet in have spiritual journeys and marks upon them. And we remember things that happen during a worship service or during a preaching time or during whatever time. And so it's a wonderful thing to be involved with a church that has vision and they understand what vision is. Now, here's my definition. The power of we is the secret of seeing and doing great things for God that will be mind-boggling beyond anything imagined. And so if we find together with a unified heart, a unified spirit, what we will see happen will be way beyond anything that we could ever imagined by ourselves, that's for sure. The more you have unified vision, the more you have a unified heart, the more mind-boggling it will be in what you will see and what will happen. Now, this has the same ingredient as a good marriage because it, the Bible teaches if husband and wife are in order and they have unity, that God will not deny their prayers. God will answer your prayers because you represent a unified whole. And so from that home right through to the house of God, a unified whole, that peace that we, we hold together and we bond together, we see together and we believe together and we pray together and we have that vision together and we move together, things begin to happen because we are in the power of we. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, God can do anything, you know. Could somebody say amen to that? Yes. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit, deeply, gently. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God where? In the church. Glory to God in the Messiah, in Jesus. Glory down all generations, glory through all millennia. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is the message translation, Eugene Peterson, who really pinned some amazing scriptures, but here he points out that it's mind-boggling. What God can do is mind-boggling. It's beyond. It's, it's something you can't even imagine. I mean, think of your own life, how much God has done. Think how much more he's going to do and how much more he's going to do in the church. Now, every church has these four ingredients. Every church has four things in common. My church, your church, all churches have these four things in common. Every church has its own destiny. Your destiny is not from someone else's destiny, someone else's church, or someone else's ideas. Or You have your own. 
And so God sends a leader into a church, and that leader leads that church, and that church has a destiny. Your destiny has a lot to do with your history, your legacy, and, and, and the stuff you put into it, but you have a unique destiny. I would like to say that your destiny is a lot bigger than you think it is. I, I would like to say that you need to stretch a little bit when you talk about destiny and you talk about where this church is headed. Second, every church has a unique personality. And your personality would be a combination of God visitations, uh, worship culture, preaching style, uh, the people that attend here. You're, you're like nobody else. Every church is unique that way. You have a unique personality. Uh, you're a fun church. I can tell Daniel's kind of a, uh, you know, a fun guy, and he might just do something really different during the service, and he might talk about stuff, and he might dance a little bit, he might cry a little bit, he might prophesy a little bit, he might pass out. I don't know what he's gonna do. And so you, you, have, a, you have a unique looseness in the service, which is good. I'm not loose bad, but loose good. Uh, the worship, the people standing, clapping, singing, how you go about it, the songs you love, the things you have, the people that lead here, and uh, even the uh, Pastor Vince, the way he made the announcement was like a revival announcement. It, it was like he was preaching in India to millions of people, and they're going to get saved. And, and he's preaching high level. It's just an announcement. And so he's preaching in, in under the anointing of the Holy Spirit about the screen. I'm thinking, this is a, this is a good church to get anointed about that announcement. You know, for you to get inspired and preach an announcement is a unique personality in the church. So, so Pastor Ben, that was amazing. I can tell that you like preaching. <laughs> you need to give him more room than just announcements. Maybe a, no, maybe not. Maybe he'd take too long. <laughs> They've been our host driving us around, so I can kid with him a little bit. Uh, we were talking this morning about how we dress. I, I noticed, I said, Pastor Vince, you're looking very sharp this morning. You're looking very nice. Said, yeah, my wife dresses me. <laughs> so I said to him, my wife does not dress me. <laughs> but that's not true either. Because <laughs> I put things together that really look good. And, she, and she'll say to me, do you want to make the people sick this morning? <laughs> what? Do you want someone to get sick? What are you talking about? I am styling. She said, styling the people who can't see, maybe. <laughs> but no, you're not styling. So then we, you know, I finally submit, and, you know. Okay. Every church has its own unique way of going about stuff. Third, every church has its own spiritual distinctives. I would think, by what I saw with your announcements, that prayer is a big part of your church because it's everywhere. Seven to eight in the morning, God doesn't even get up for that one. But there's prayer everywhere. You know, in the morning, in the afternoon, before the service, after, during, every, and so you have a unique distinctive with prayer. I would imagine with that would come healing, miracles. I would imagine with that would come uh, believing God to break through and move mountains. And, and so you're a progressive church. You want to see God break through and nothing's impossible. Well, that's a spiritual distinction. How about fourth, every church has its own God-given vision. And that vision 
has a combination of things that have to happen. Nobody can hand a pastor a vision. You can hand a pastor a plan. You can hand him some ideas. But nobody can hand a pastor a vision because vision has to be born of the Spirit. And it, unless it's born of the Spirit, you carry it by the flesh. And if you carry it by the flesh, you've got to fulfill it by the flesh, and that means it ain't fun. And so it has to be birthed in the Spirit. When it's birthed in the Spirit, then that vision is honed out through the leadership and other people that have a voice, and, and you begin to make things happen, and you talk about churches and planning churches, maybe missions and church growth, and what size this church is going to be, and how you're going to do it, and what kind of a church we're going to be, how we're going to reach the lost and, and the unchurched, and how, well, how will we do church in order to reach this city and this area, this region? How will we do church? That's all part of vision. Vision is not a statement. Vision is a life. Vision is a culture. Vision is a flow. Vision is not a banner in a hallway somewhere. Vision is who you are. Vision is what you really do. Vision is what you're really passionate about. Vision is what will push you into those passionate areas because you have passion for those things. When you make vision happen, it takes this. Making vision happen means you have to take the promises, whatever God has promised this church. Only you know. I have a journal. When I pastored, I had a journal. I still have the journal. I didn't give it to the other guy because they were my promises, not his. And so I took that journal. Every time God would speak to us and give us a promise, I'd write it down in that journal. Every prophetic word, I'd write it down in that journal. Every time I felt quickened about something that I should believe for, I would write it down in that journal. Why? Because the journal represented a vision journey of enlargement, a vision journey of a path where I was going to believe for these things because God said, God said, God promised prophecies that came over us and then the passion that we had began to mold the house. These are the things that mold every church. Your promises, your prophecies, and your passion. Your promises, your prophecies, and your passion. What has God promised you? What has God said to you? And what are you deeply passionate about? A church does not move by program, it moves by passion. A church does not move by tradition, it moves by passion. A church does not move by the past, it moves by the future. And so you have to see where the church is going, buy into that and own that as a congregation. Now vision people, let me talk to you as the vision people of this vision because without you, there is no vision fulfillment. Leadership is the point of the arrow, but leadership do not fulfill vision. Leadership lead vision. The people fulfill vision. Without you, there's no fulfillment. And so I can have the best ideas and the best vision, but it will only be fantasy if the church doesn't buy into it. And so you're the vision carriers. You're the vision makers. You're the vision important people here. And so without you, none of this is going to happen. Vision people are special people. It's not just a pastor thing. It's not just a leadership thing. It is a people thing, and you're the people. You're the people that carry the vision. All people in this auditorium this morning, brand new, been here for a while, whatever, everybody in the auditorium, you are a vision carrier. You're a culture carrier. You have something marked on your life for this house. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy are those who carry that vision. Where there's no vision, People cast off restraint. They don't flow. They don't discipline. They don't do anything. But when there is vision, 
things begin to happen. Watch. Vision does not partner with laziness. Vision does not partner with stinginess. Vision does not partner with people who have no passion. Vision only partners with people who have the passion and the liberality and the heart for the kingdom. And then that Holy Spirit that we know about comes upon us and vision becomes a reality. It doesn't partner with laziness. It doesn't partner with stinginess. And that's why a lot of churches in America, 350,000 of them, 80% of them are 200 and less. And about 70 of the 80% are plateaued. And some of them right now are closing their doors. About 20% every year close their doors. Why? Because there's a lot of la lazy Christian people that attend church, but they're not the church. They go to a building, but the building does nothing for them. They, they attend the service, but they're never in the service. They listen to a sermon, but they never live the sermon. They, they, they go to a building, but they don't carry anything out of the building. They, they hear things, but they never apply things. They, they are a Christian only by name. They're not a Christian by action. But the churches that will change Alaska will be churches that do it by action and by modeling and by passion and by implementing and by obedience. And every person is a vision carrier. When you see a piece of paper in the parking lot, you don't pick it up, you're a church attender. When you come to church and you pick up the piece of paper, you're a vision carrier. When you come into the foyer and a new mother is looking for somewhere to take her kid, doesn't know where to go, you don't look for the usher out there, you don't look for someone else, you don't go by and say, boy, I hope somebody helps her. You stop and you help her, you take her to the class, you take the kid, get the kid checked into the nursery. Why? Because it's your house, you own the house. This is your, your church, this is your vision, this is what you do. If somebody needs help, you help. If a ministry needs help, you help. Say, well, it's not my gift. You don't have to have a gift to serve, you have to have a heart to serve. A heart. Well, when a whole church starts acting like that, and the whole church sees themselves as, this is my church, this is my vision, I'm carrying this thing, I, I'm not going to be lazy about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice. Nehemiah 4, verse 6 is a great scripture for you to take down. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. We, everyone shout the word we. we. Nehemiah 4, 6. We built the wall, the entire wall, was joined together up to half its height. What a phrase right here. For the people had a mind to work. How do walls get built? How do churches get built? How do visions get built? When people have a mind to work. When they come to church with the idea, I'm looking for someone to pray for. I'm looking for someone to help. I'm looking for someone to encourage. This is the service I come to, but I'm looking to help this service. I'm going to be a piece of the solution of this church right here. I'm looking for new people. If the new person doesn't fill out a card, it doesn't matter in a church that carries the vision because everybody knows what the new person is. And those who carry the vision go to that new person and make sure that they connect with them. Why? Because they're vision carriers. Who are you? Some people just let it happen happy that it happens, but they just let it happen. Some people make it happen. And then some people wonder what happened. Now you're in one of the three this morning. Either you're a make it happen person or 
let it happen, I don't really need to do much about it, or you're scratching your head and say, so what happened? When did we start our building program? That would be the what happened person. Wow, those are great pictures. Have we already got that far? Well, how much money do we need? The question is not how much we need, how much should be given? Oh, am I supposed to give? That's the person that's watching it happen. If you're in the ball ballpark and you're making it happen, then you're going to be in the know. Vision is the ability to see God in the now, but also in the future. Vision, people have eyes. Now, let me give you some characteristics of a vision person. I'd like you to ask yourself a question. Am I this person? Am I this person right now? And if you're not, don't beat yourself up, because I'm not trying to beat you up either. But I would like you to think, I could become that person. Or I'm the person that really could make other people like that, too. I'm going to give you some characteristics. Do we have the slides on these? Are there slides? I don't see the slides on the back. But do you have slides? No? Yes? Yes? Okay, put up the first slide then that says vision people have moved from. Do you have that one? Has there been any slides so far? Oh, you've been up with it. Just I don't see it on the back, so if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. It's called faith. Great, okay, we got that. Thank you, hon. You can have a free cup of coffee at the cafe on me. All right, vision people have moved from spectator to participator to owner. So you move from being a spectator is a person who just watches, like at the game, you know, everybody cheering the team on doesn't mean they know the game. A participator is a person who shares in it. But an owner, an owner is someone who has the right to make changes and carries how that house is or how that game is, they own it. You know the difference between a person who owns a house and how they treat it and a person who rents a house? Anybody that's done real estate would know having renters in your house is a horrible thing <laughs> because they'll kick walls, they'll write on things, they'll call you for the least little thing, they won't fix anything, they don't care about the yard, they don't care about the window, they don't care if they have smoke damage as long as they can just live in it. Why? Because they don't own it. They're just temporary. They're a renter. Don't treat the church like a renter. Yeah. Treat it like an owner. And the emotion of an owner, well, it's one has a heart for everything that's going on. Number two, vision people have a unified heart. Psalms 133, behold, how good and pleasant it is for people to dwell together in unity, and something happens. It says in Psalms 133 that God commands the blessings to come upon those people because they're in unity. He commands it to be blessed. So if you're in unity, God commands the blessing. You don't have to ask for it. He sends prosperity. He sends miracles. He sends things into your midst. Acts 4.32, it says they were of one heart, one soul, one accord, and the place was shaken where they were. Acts 4.32. People who have a unified heart, churches have a unified heart, is a 
Matthew 18, 19 scripture, if two agree, harmonize like a symphony. The, the word unity and, and agreement in, in Matthew chapter 18 is the word symphony. It's the word symphoneo in the Greek. It's the word symphony, it's meaning every, every little instrument has its place. And when everybody is playing, you get symphoneo. It's, it's not a solo, it's a symphony. It's, it's a unified whole, every part, every person moving in the right way makes a great symphony. And you can't have a symphony with one guitar. You can't have a symphony with one instrument. You have to have many kinds of people that make a symphonio. Number three, vision people have a change willingness attitude. That is, they don't hold on to everything that it has to be their way. So what happens when things change with structures or systems or times or service times or whatever happens in the church as you move forward? Your culture is flexible. Your truth is not. So you, you have truth and you have principles that are not flexible. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the only way. Water baptism, reading the word, the Bible's inspired of God. Those will never change. But how you apply culture in your culture in Alaska means you have room to make decisions. You have room to make changes. And it means that you can change your service times. The only reason we have 11 o'clock in America uh, in the lower at 48 came out of uh, the... Um, idea of the dairies and when to milk the cows. And so because cows have to be milked twice a day, the 11 o'clock slot in Wisconsin is where they started this. And they, they set the service time as 11 in the morning and 11 at night. But the 11 in the morning became the church time for all the Midwest and then it spread to both coasts. And so we still have it that church is Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Then we add an early service like we do here at 9 o'clock. But 11 o'clock worldwide is kind of now the church time. But now other churches have broken out of that, and they have Friday night services. Uh, I know churches now that have Monday night services besides Sunday morning. Who's going to come to church on Monday night? Those who can't come on Sunday. That's who. Those who work all day Sunday. But, of course, that wasn't the case back then. Everything was shut down for church back in those days. And everybody could go to church. Nowadays, everything's open 24-7. People, people in the medical world try to get them to church. If you don't have very many medical people, it's because they only have one choice with you, and they're working, and they're swing shifts, and they can't make it here. Right. Uh, and so if you start looking at the professions out there and different people's schedule and what happens with life, you'll understand that people need more than one choice. You have more than one service choice, not because the service is full, but because there's more people that need to come to services. So it's a different mentality. What would you do if church was on Saturday night? I did Saturday night for years, a five and a seven and a Sunday morning nine and 11 and one and five. I did multiple services and it took every week, my weekends were gone every weekend which was kind of a problem for me, but it's the growth of the church, and so I gave into it, and we did it for a very long time until we started more campuses, but I did it because the people needed a service to go to. I didn't need another service to preach at, but the people needed another option to go to. College students, if you wanna reach any college students, 
if you want to reach people that do weekend stuff, if they have sports on Sunday, and you can, you can argue and say it's a Sabbath, they shouldn't do it, but they're going to do it. They, they, they're unbelievers. They don't know your doctrine. They don't have a conviction for what you think. What they want is a place to go to church, and they'd like to go Monday night at 6. What? Well, we're not going to do Monday night at 6. And we'd like to go Friday night, or we'd like to go Saturday, or we'd like to go Sunday at 1 o'clock. Well, 1 o'clock, that's a funny thing. That's when we eat. But it's not when a lot of people eat. You get my idea here. You have to come up with a culture of change that maybe will allow people in your community to do church differently than you've done it your whole life. Your whole life. Amen, Frank. Thank you very much for that point. I just thought I would encourage myself on the Lord, you know, since... You were like the cow looking at the fifth post. <laughs> so where are you from? <laughs> How many hear what I'm saying? Amen. Not that you agree with what I'm saying. If you disagree, come see Daniel. <laughs> if you agree and love it, come see me. Number four, vision people have a great faith attitude. Love to be around these kind of people that always want another challenge, another mountain, another way, another way to go forward. And, and they understand that, you know, what is eternal? What lasts? Some of you that are old enough to understand life, you understand that getting things, when you're younger, getting things is important. Cars, houses, money, job, promotion, nothing against those things. When you're older, those things begin to fade as not so important. Uh, you move into your 50s and you begin to think, I lived all this time and I've collected all this junk. I have all this stuff in my house and who's it going to go to when I die? And then when you get to your 60s, it's like, I really don't care much about any of that stuff and I'm not going to have a U-Haul a connected to the hearse. I'm not going to take all this stuff with me and then I'm just going to give it to someone and what's the good of when you get into your 70s then you start thinking how do I get rid of all this stuff I don't even want it and uh, money actually doesn't have the same meaning anymore you don't even treat money the same you don't even look at money the same you don't love money the same why because you know that you're going to pass into another realm called eternity and there is no money up in heaven you don't buy things you don't i mean you don't have the all the stuff obviously you have here so what am i saying when it comes to building your life make sure you choose some eternal things and I'll tell you what will outlive you, the church, the church. Four years ago, I had cancer. I almost died, but I didn't. But I faced death square on. About the fourth month into my treatment, I was a dead man. And God spared my life, you know, so I went through it and came up the other side. It was a year of horrible treatment, 300 hours of chemotherapy and 20 radiations and spinal taps and all kinds of stuff. And so I know what it's like to suffer, know what it's like to have the ending of your life. I'm 64 then, and my life was done. Well, when your life is done, let me tell you, your thinking patterns change. 
Because it's no longer about what I'm going to get. It's all about what was worth the journey. What was worth this whole journey? What am I keeping after 64 years? What's the most important thing? Funny for me, but as an author, I've written a bunch of books, over 30 books. Never thought about my books. Funny thing, too, I never thought about my house, my bank account, how much money I was leaving to someone else. Rats, they're going to get all my money. Didn't think about that either. I thought about my wife, my children, and what legacy I'm leaving behind in the kingdom of God. And that was it. And then looking at that legacy, trying to think, what would live on that I invested my life into? Then it comes down to, really, all the people that were changed in the church. What I thought about was all the people that got saved, got healed, had miracles, families healed, marriages, the people I, I discipled, people I mentored, people that are now doing so well and so fruitful. My, my legacy is not in things, it's in people. And if you want to invest in people, invest in the church. Because that's what Christ died for. Andrew Murray, when it comes to faith, Andrew Murray said, we have a God who delights in impossibilities. George Mueller, who built orphanages, read his stories in England, they're amazing. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Hmm. Charles Wesley, faith, mighty faith, the promises we see, we look to God alone, God laughs at impossibilities, and we should cry out, and it shall be done. He was a man of faith. You can't live a life. You can't have a legacy. You can't affect eternity. You can't move mountains. You can't do anything that you're wanting to do in any area of life without faith. But with faith, there's nothing you can't do. The limitations are out there. Now, if God wants to put some limits, you'll know where they are. But most of the time, what God is saying, I'm not going to put any limits on you because you haven't even got out of point one yet. You're, you're still on first base. You, you move along here. We shoot too low. It's not that we shoot high and miss it. We shoot low and hit it. And so because of that, we end up limiting. We end up thinking small. We end up, and before you know it, our whole life is small. Don't be a small thinker. Don't be a small person. Right. Be a church person, be a kingdom person, be yeah. a giving person, be a vision carrier. Take this church to the next level. Whatever it will take will be worth it. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. It's 1020, so I'm going to pray for you. Okay? Are you okay? How many, how many got something out of this? How many also got a little bit of a feeling you need to adjust a couple things. <laughs> How many are thinking the person next to you really needs to adjust a couple things? <laughs> You're thinking more about them than you. You know, they really need to. I hope they're listening to this. 
Make sure it's you. Bow your head right now. Father, I'm praying that this congregation will be vision carriers and owners, create momentum, futures. Lord, for the unchurched, the unsaved, and the hundreds and multiple thousands that over the years will be touched by these people, by this church. Lord, I'm praying for the building. I'm praying that it will be built, built well, and all the finances needed will be there. Lord, I'm believing that you are shifting, accelerating, and what was going to take a lot longer is not going to take that long. It's going to come in, and it's going to work. Lord, bless these people today. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, I pray.